Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. In this episode, you'll hear from V. Kasivu, an Oxford and Harvard graduate, UN ambassador, author, and active access to education advocate. I've always been protective of my peace, my space, and my mental health. And if something isn't working towards the goodness or the pursuit of happiness, I don't want it around me. With over 200,000 subscribers to her YouTube channel, V founded Empowered by V to champion diversity within higher education and encourage young people like her to bridge the gap between academic ability and self-belief. This episode includes V talking about her experiences of racism, which some listeners may find upsetting. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is V Katavu. What better way to start a new year with the positivity and optimism of empowerment? V, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been very excited about doing this and I can't wait to talk to you. V, you have nearly a quarter of a million followers on your YouTube channel. You talk about education, overcoming disadvantage, championing diversity. What is it in your own background and history that have made you want to be so active in this way? I think for me, it's growing up and seeing a lack of diversity around me, a lack of opportunity. And, you know, being born and raised in Zimbabwe, where I would see a lot of my cousins not get the opportunity to maybe go to school or given that voice and always being told, oh, be a bit quiet. Like you're a girl, you can't say this, you can't wear this. And that really frustrated me. And I think coming to the UK and seeing how much freedom people had, I was like, imagine if my cousins had this and their bright ideas, they would be able to do so much. So I think it stemmed in me from a very, very, very young age. And then also from the things I was studying, the things I was reading and just understanding, you know, girls' education around the globe and girls' empowerment and their lack of choices in some things. And just trying to ask why, like, why won't you just let girls be like, let them learn, you know, you teach a girl, you teach the world. So it really stemmed from that, like a passion deep within and everything in my life just started to revolve around it. When it came time to, you know, even writing this book and giving it to the world, it was always going to center around empowerment. So I feel like it's just a part of my being now, like it's it's within me, it's part of my bones or like my genetics. Yeah, that's me. Okay. And so the book, why did you decide to write it? Yes, so I decided to write Empowered because I wish I had something like that when I was younger, something I could read and just reference and turn to. And even if you're looking inside the pages of the book, you know, we have many illustrations in there where you could easily cut that up and put it on the wall you know just daily mantras little reminders things that can keep you going and all centered around you and self-empowerment and how to find it and how it's living within you so when I was writing and I was starting to shape what I want I thought 
during the stages of my life, what would I have really needed to hear? If you look at the chapter structure, it's kind of like watching you grow up and kind of taking me to the present moment. So I wanted each chapter to be something I went through, something I related to. And it begins with an anecdote of, you know, my story or a moment that wasn't really great for me, that whole turning lemons into lemonade notion. And then it ends with practical steps of how I did it and how someone else in a similar situation could do it too. So it was always going to be about empowerment because that's kind of like what saved me, you know, so I wanted to give that to others. Yeah, I mean, the tips that you give both on your channel and in your book, they are very realistic, they're very achievable, and they're very practical. Is that something that you have found has been really well received by your listeners and your readers, just how achievable your advice is? Yes, I feel like people always said they loved my channel or my online presence because it wasn't something that I was speaking like, well, I know I got D grades in my A's as I'm driving a Porsche now, so you can do it too. Like, no, that's just... Where do we, how, what do we take away from that? There is, there's nothing we can use in there. So I always, always made sure anything I ever said was backed up by evidence or by my personal story. So when it came to writing the book, it did not make any sense for me to just be there like, well, then this happened, then this happened, then that happened without providing practical, realistic steps. People often forget, they go into schools to talk to students and they're like, you can dream it, you can be it, if you can see it, you can achieve it, go. And it's like, there's a young person in that room whose boiler isn't working, right? They are looking after their younger siblings. They are a young carer. They don't have money to get school lunch and you're talking about see it, dream it, achieve it. We need practical, realistic steps because people are going through real life stuff. So I just don't like when people are just like, quotes, 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 and there's no practical steps. So I had to make sure the book included that. And from a very realistic standpoint of things I've lived through, seen, that my friends have seen, that people don't often see written about. Certainly, you produce content of substance. It comes from your lived experience and it feels very authentic. So you've been through some really challenging times and you make no secret of that. You remain incredibly positive. What's been the most significant learning experience for you? I feel like a few different things, but it would have to be the moments where I'm working around other people and I get to draw from their experiences too. So for example, when I was working at McDonald's, I feel like that was such such a life-changing experience for me because I was learning so much about independence, innovation, communication, leadership. People think I'm going to say, oh, it's the moment I met Mrs. Michelle Obama or it was the moment that I was speaking at this event. No, like the moments that have taught me the most are from regular, daily, real-life stuff, like having to help my mom financially sometimes when I was growing up or having to, you know, migrate from Zimbabwe to the UK or being there alone without my mom or my dad before I moved to the UK. It's been the moments where I've had to think on my feet or just look after myself. Those are the moments I had to grow up quickly. So I think that's when I learned the most, to be honest. So what was it like for you? Um, you arrived in the UK, age seven, from Zimbabwe. You had lost your dad. What was it like arriving at that time? It was really hard, number one, being in Zimbabwe on my own. My father had passed away. My mother had moved to the UK to try and, you know, save and make a better future for us and before she could take us. And my sister had to live with another family member because, you know, they couldn't afford to take both of us. So in that moment of my childhood, it was literally like you're on your own. All of your family's just gone. So then to transition from being so hyper-independent from such a young age 
to then come into the UK and meeting my mom. Like I really didn't know her that well. So I had to meet her again. And she came to the airport to get me and my sister because we flew on our own to meet her. And I think I was seven at the time. And she came with her best friend. And I was literally like, which, which one is she? Like, I did not know which one to run to. So I ran to the wrong one. My sister ran to the other one. So that moment in time was like, we really had to start from the beginning of, hi, like, you're my mom. Let me get to know you. So it was hard. But now we're the best of friends. So, I mean, you know, it's got a strong bond that is unbreakable. But that time was hard because I'd be like, excuse me, ma'am. Like, my sister needs more soap. And she's like, call me mom. Like, I'm your mom. And I'm like, thank you, madam. Like, I just did. It took a minute for me to get used to now having someone who's unconditionally going to love you and it's just there I didn't have that before so that was hard that is utterly heartbreaking to hear mm. and it, it must have been so hard for your mum as well yeah no she found it so like she would cry a lot of the time and she'd say you know what do you want to eat like I'm going to the shops and I would just I was so used to being in Zim where people just I don't know I just there was just a lack of love and they just didn't really want me around and I just couldn't even like open up and say I want chocolate because I was so scared like if I ask for too much she might say you have to move on to the next house you know like that's what I was so used to in Zimbabwe just hopping around house to house so yeah it was really really hard for her because she just wanted us to feel comfortable and to lean on her as our mother but I didn't know her at that time so it took a while but um once we were in the swing of it she was sick of us <laughs> I'd be asking for everything I'm like well you said I could ask for anything right <laughs> but yeah it was hard V, when you think about those early childhood experiences, does it affect how you feel about issues such as asylum seekers and the ongoing debate around the UK welcoming those who, who managed to get out of Afghanistan last summer, for example? Yes, I think that people should be kinder, you know, like anybody's situation can change at any given time. So you could be the person one day being like, I don't let them in. Like, and then the next day, something could happen here that would require you to also be seeking refuge elsewhere. Like, you know, refugee, asylum seeking, it doesn't have like an identity. It could be anybody. It's a situation, you know? So I think that people need to be more empathetic and realize that people don't choose to be in that situation. Like you don't choose to have to uproot and leave your home overnight leaving your bedroom with your bed unmade. So I think people just need to be kinder. And I mean, we saw a lot of it happening during the time of the pandemic when people had been abroad on holidays and they were stuck. You know, like that feeling you had when you're on holiday, imagine it being your home. I just think we need to open up our hearts more and realise it's a human needing help. It's another human, human to human. Mm. Tell us about the work that you do with the UN as an ambassador for girls' rights in Zimbabwe. Okay, so it's the United Nations Foundation, so like their foundation sector and the Zimbabwean girls decided that they wanted to have their version of Girl Up, which is quite like an internationally renowned organization under the UN that's all about girls and helping them through, you know, things like domestic violence, getting access to education, having more political freedom and access to their rights. So when the Zimbabwean faction was created, I was literally stalking their Instagram page and leading into what they're doing just from a supportive standpoint. You know, I didn't even think about the fact they might consider me to be one of their ambassadors. So when they reached out, it was a no brainer for me. I am from Zimbabwe. I remember a lack of opportunity, a lack of choice, a lack of voice. 
all of that stuff. So they're going to the schools, they're campaigning all the time and I wish I could do more but you wish that you could do more let's talk about what you're doing at the moment your current portfolio of work so you work in education and outreach to bring more young people from disadvantaged to higher education you run your YouTube channel you organize empowerment workshops you wish you could do more how are you balancing it all at the moment um I wish I could do more because if I could split myself into 10 oh it would be an amazing feeling, but I know I can't. You need a time turner from Harry Potter, don't you? <laughs> yes, I need something like that, or even like a clone or a duplicate, something. But um, how I'm balancing what I'm doing now is just, it's a matter of priority. And I talk about this in the book a lot. You don't have to necessarily have balance in your life, but you need to have harmony in your life. So it's not necessarily just 25% of your energy goes here, 25% and it has to be equal. No, there's different seasons for different things. So there'll be a time when January, February, it could be girl up season and I'm focusing more on that. So everything else might take a bit of a backseat, you know, then there'll be a time when now it's time to focus on the channel because there's an important message you're campaigning for. So I really just prioritize. I don't ever feel like, oh my God, you have to juggle 10 plates at the same time. No, you don't. I've really become good at getting rid of procrastination. Like it's, it's something that I don't know how, but I just became really good at it. Um, and I don't get distracted too easily. Let's talk about social media, V. Um, earlier on, we were talking about how people say, look at me, look how successful I am. I'm driving my Porsche. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure uh, for young people to look a certain way, to behave a certain way. Clearly, you're using your social media channels as a force for good. You're empowering young people. But do you ever feel uncomfortable about it? You know, we talk about trying to get young people off screen. How do you feel about that? When you go on social media and you see someone did a 14-hour study session, they've edited that into a 10-minute clip of a 14-hour study with me. And you don't know when they took a break, when they ate, when their family came in to say, hey, it's too much. And you're about to go and replicate something that you haven't really, don't really know what happened behind the scenes. People only show you the highlights. And I think if you're on social media, 10 minutes of a snapshot into someone's life is not going to tell you every single thing. And if you are following the right type of people and the people who are there to kind of promote goodness and your well-being, then you're going to kind of be okay. But always remember that they are giving you as much as they can give. They're only giving you the best version of themselves. Their Instagram is a highlight of their life. You can't base what you want to do off of what you've seen of someone else. And I've said this before in the book as well. I said, you cannot scroll on someone's 14-hour study with me and then use that as something that you have to do because that person who posted it knows nothing about your context. They know nothing about what your best study methods are. They don't know anything. So you have to kind of, Take everything with a pinch of salt. And I I don't feel guilty about my presence online or the content that I produce because everything comes with a disclaimer. I always tell them, by the way, just so you know, I'm talking from my experience and this was what happened when I was doing this and this is everything in context. And now let's get into the video and make of that what you will. And I think that there's a responsibility on the influencers or the education creative to be as honest as they can be. I'm proud of what I'm creating online because it's helpful, it's realistic, it's genuine, it's honest. And don't set your standard based on how I set my standard. 
I have to say, I really loved what you did around uh, where you live. So you moved into what looks like an absolutely beautiful new pad last summer. And then you made a point of saying to your viewers, I haven't bought this place. I can't afford to buy this place yet. I'm renting. Obviously, I'm renting. I loved that honesty. I said it in the video. I am renting. I'm 23 years old. I just want to live in London for a year and then figure out what I want to do after. I'm renting. I think I'm always as honest as I can be, you know, as honest as I can be, because I would never want someone to now think she's 23. She's bought a house. I've got to go and buy a house. And that's not even what happened. I didn't even buy the house, you know? So, but you see that anyway, in the beauty world, right? With people looking at a photo, a magazine photo, being like, I want to be as small as that person. Look at their waist. It's so tiny and their face has no pimples. Meanwhile, most of it is photoshopped. That person doesn't even look like that person. And now you're off trying to not eat or do all of these different things to look like someone that doesn't even look like themselves. Like you just have to live your truth. That's, that is the main message. Like live your truth at your pace, at your time. Do not go broke trying to act rich. Do not allow other people to tell you what beauty is to you. And, you know, you just have to be true to yourself. Brilliant. Let's go back to the money question for a sec. You talk about money and finance in the book in characteristic, honest style. Some people feel uncomfortable admitting that they want to earn a decent salary. What's your stance on that? I mean, oh, I, I, I love the money chapter. Money is not inherently bad. Money is not evil. Money makes the world go around. It's just how you use the money that can be bad. And there is a great example in that book from Hayley Melinda, and she says, take a knife. Like, you can't say a knife is bad because when you give that knife to a chef, they're going to produce the most outstanding meal, give it five stars, and you'll come back to that restaurant for the rest of your life. Give the knife to someone who's got bad intentions, they could kill someone. Is the knife bad or is the person bad? You know, if you want the money to do good, use it for good. I don't think it's bad for people to have a dream salary. People have dreams. You have homes to uphold, you have children to feed, you can have a dream salary, you know. Okay. You also talk about how important it is to have a network, the people that you surround yourself with. So how did you go about growing your empowerment circle, V? I've always been protective of my peace, my space and my mental health. And if something isn't serving me, like if something isn't working towards the goodness or the pursuit of happiness or me wanting to live my true authentic life I don't want it around me and that's whether it's social media like I said I choose who I follow because it's what you're going to wake up and see on your feet so I'm very selective about oh this person's message doesn't align with what I'm about or what I'm investing myself in so I'm going to unfollow and I do the same thing in my real life as well in the sense of the friends I have around me it's absolutely on purpose. Like you were chosen and selected to be here because we align well. You're good for me. We're good for each other. We push each other. We encourage each other. I think it just happened by alignment of interests, alignment of dreams and how they responded whenever I took something to them. That's your empowerment circle. The people that push you to be the best version of yourself. But if you're not, they can hold you and help uplift you and put you back up that those are your people mm. so carrying on the theme of friendship and network you posted not so long ago about your bestie Malala and her coming to stay with you can I ask you what is she like she is such a world famous role model famous for her courage her integrity 
And she's your best friend. You know, what's she, what's she like in real life? She's amazing. She is kind, one of the most patient people I've ever known. And even when I'm doing something that is like, you know, if it comes to boys or something and I'm like, oh my God, I called him again. I should have called him. She's like, okay, V, it's okay. You make me say, and I could tell her the same thing 10 times. Like, oh, I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. She's like, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Okay. Why do you think you called him? What's going on? And she will have that same level of patience never gets annoyed easily she's always non-judgmental and it's genuinely in the fiber of her being it's not something that she's doing because she feels like oh because of my position I have to be no it is so genuine within her and we just get on so well she's so kind I could take an idea to her and it would be on like you know level two and she would times it by 10 and she can see it bigger she can dream it bigger phenomenal woman like absolutely phenomenal so speaking of phenomenal women and men, we have lots of parents who listen into our podcast and I would love it if you would share your tips for parents listening in about how they can support their young people. Um, you know, how has your mum supported you? I always get this question. Well, my mum always gets this question, but she's very shy. I don't think you'll ever hear from her. She's so shy that she would be like, ah. but whenever she talks to me privately and I ask her like, how have you done it? Like, how have you managed to hold this down, you lost your husband, you had to migrate to a new country, raising your children on your own, and sometimes you didn't even have enough money for anything, and like you still kept a smile on your face, and you still kept going, like, how did you do that? And she always says, it's just trusting in your children, like, she's a big believer of giving me and my sister the autonomy to choose what we want for our lives, and also letting us know that there's no limit, and I could bring any idea to her, it could be the craziest thing, and within, an, within the moment she hears it, she'll just go quiet, scratch her head. And then she'll be like, okay, so how do you do it? She never once told me what I had to do. There was never a, I gave birth to a doctor, so you must study this. I'd finish my exams, come home, and she'd always know when the last exam date was. And there's like a mini party happening already. And I'm like, mom, you don't even know if I've passed or not. She's like, I don't care you've completed and accomplished it. And I want you to know that your accomplishment is based on, did you enjoy yourself? Did you give it your best shot and you've done it? And now it's done. So all of my parties have always been before the grades come out. Like that is just how she's raised us. So I feel like any parents listening, the best way you can support your young children or young people or anything like that is believe in them. And you're there to let them fly and I think Malala's dad says it perfectly as well and he's kind of become like a father figure to me and he's so amazing he's so great you know we have great conversations he calls me all the time he gives me advice and his big thing is let them fly let her fly don't clip their wings don't try to shake that let them fly and if they fall you catch them you build them back up you know you're there to help with any damage any whatever but just let them do it and your child flies better when they have confidence that you're cheering them on In each episode of Race Her Up, we hear from a member of our GDST family, giving their perspective on the matter at hand. My name is Grace, and I'm a GDST pupil currently in my first year of sixth form at Norwich High School for Girls. It is an absolute pleasure to introduce everyone to the incredible V Katibu. Her message really supported me throughout my GCSEs. I struggled with, and to some extent do still struggle with, imposter syndrome. But her videos taught me how to cultivate feelings of self-love and value, and helped me to push through and achieve not only results I am proud of, but also huge personal growths. 
V is all for self-empowerment and seeing your true potential, something I feel my school helps students with greatly. At Norwich High, we have revision programmes, such as topics in our PSHE schemes, that allow every student to find their best revision strategy. However, I and V believe that success is not only academic, but also about the mindset of loving yourself, because this foundation is necessary to move forward in a healthy manner. I see this mindset encouraged daily at my school, through our excellent mental health and pastoral support. An example of this is something I personally am very passionate about the Big Sister programme, which I so happen to be the co-director of. This programme supports those of any age in whatever they may be struggle with. It promotes being strong and finding solutions to obstacles that may be in your path, and ultimately builds supportive relationships between girls, because having a healthy support network is so helpful when looking at growth, whether that be mindset or academic. V's message is one that we can all take on board. What about for the young the young women listening in, you know, perhaps a, a girl listening in, doubting herself, aspiring to succeed? What would be your top tip for her? Obviously, you must believe in yourself. But like I said earlier, I can't just say that and say, that's it, go. Because it's not practical. Clearly, she wants to believe in herself, but she's struggling to. So she needs to sit down with herself in her journal and write down why she thinks she can't do this thing. Because I don't think it's the thing that you want to do that's causing you fear. It's something else. It's not necessarily the goal. It's something else to figure out what that thing is and then work on that thing because that's going to then cure the lack of self-confidence. You have to really dig deep and only you know that. No, none of us can tell you what that thing that's holding you back is apart from And you do know it. You've probably just suppressed it for so long that you think you don't know it. So sit with yourself and put Oxford, pros, cons, why I think I can go, why I think I can't go. And then that will set you free. So V, you've spoken openly about the racism you suffered when you were first growing up in the UK. Can you talk to us about what you encountered and how you dealt with it? Oh, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that's where... I lost my Zimbabwean accent because it was just so teased in me that I think I literally was like, okay, because I'm so determined. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to learn how to speak English in the way that you're speaking it then. Then you won't pick on me. But that's where I learned the lesson of it. the goalposts will always be moving. It doesn't matter. You will then go home and you'll straighten your hair. You'll come back. Then now they'll talk about your accent. You'll go home and you'll change your accent. Now they'll talk about... It, the goalpost is always moving. The message there, be yourself, because either way, there's something. So um, the racism began immediately, like the first week of school. It was, and it's just like, oh, this is so sad, you know, but that's how it goes. But how does a seven-year-old who's never experienced that before, how do you deal with that? You, it must have been utterly baffling how yeah. seemingly unkind people were. I dealt with it. It just became so clear, like when they're choosing teams at school or like it's time for PE, I said, pick your teams. You're always never picked. And then you hear the little jokes and people start making all these references. And not only are you black, you're also coming straight from Africa. Like, oh my God, this one country, Africa, that you're coming from where everyone lives a certain way and there's a mud hut. They've got all of these notions ingrained in them from somewhere. So now they're just putting it all on you. And I was like, 
oh, like that's what we're doing. So I just found refuge in books. That's literally where it began. Like I would just start reading stories and reading Jacqueline Wilson. And I found a different outlet, which was making friends in my head from books and stuff like that and writing my own stories or making my own reality. And I guess that's probably where I then became academically ahead because I was just always consuming new things and then reading beyond my years like I would finish the classroom books and then now I'm reading the next year's books and then I'd finish all of that and then now I'm in the local libraries the adult libraries and I guess it worked out well but it was still sad because but you are so good at reframing can you pinpoint a time when you were able to think rather than thinking this this is horrible this is miserable I'm going to lose myself in a book can you pinpoint a time to when you thought right enough I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to make this into something of use to me. Yeah, I suppose that time though, like when I was younger, my focus was just, I had an understanding from a young age of the sacrifice. Like, okay, like the stuff that I was witnessing like students doing, I just thought, I can't do that. I, I've got too much to lose. Like I always knew I cannot go home and say, I got a detention for talking back. Like the freedoms that my friends had, I just didn't have. So I knew, and I would tell the teachers, like, by the way, they said some racist comments and the teachers would do nothing. That's when I realized that, okay, there, I had to find refuge in books because there was never any consequences for them. It was always, they're just kids. My mom would be like, but hello. And I was one of the only black girls. So it's not like there was a community of other moms being like, all of our children are being bullied. It was just like, well, what can we do? It's the whole class. You're going to punish the whole class? No just you know we get on with it but um the moments that I started to turn it around was definitely like when I got into sixth form I think it was like when I was way older when I thought okay so I need to flip this on its head and start making sure other young people don't have to feel that way and have the tools to deal with it so that's where it all began I literally started doing social mobility foundation work going into schools and talking to other young people talking about bullying talking about racism all that kind of stuff then when I had the channel it was easier to talk to a wider audience so it was now like okay we're gonna flip this on its head and I'm gonna let you know that it's not it's not right and for people to find power in who they are because I think a lot of the problem with bullying is people start to believe what they're being told so young black girls start to believe I am ugly like maybe that's why all the boys never choose me whenever they're playing those you know who would you kiss marry you're always the one that's avoid 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 and it's like no 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 we're not doing that so I just had to focus on how do I make sure you don't internalize this as a teacher and a parent hearing you talk about how teachers would would not do anything um about the racism that you suffered that's that's really difficult to hear you need to be unapologetic about the fact that you will not tolerate this. It can't be an omen and R in. It can't be, a, well, maybe that kid was having a bad day because that young person now, that young black girl, when she sees her teacher stand, she knows this is not right. And in the future, I have to stand up for myself. But the moment you're, we don't know, we don't know, she's going to be like, well, maybe then, maybe they're right or maybe I should allow it or maybe if they're having a bad day, we can excuse it. No, the lack of tolerance has to be zero, like zero tolerance for it. We're not even going to have an excuse for a bad day. Something's going on at home. No, because you can't say because you're going through something you're going to make someone else's day bad. It doesn't work. Um... Yeah, I think people need to be unapologetic about lack of tolerance. 
I think it's just getting people to listen for a start. You know, you might learn something interesting from me because I've had a, I have a different lived experience from you. Everyone is human at the end of the day. We are literally humans just trying to, life is hard enough without you having to bully me because of the color of my skin like it's not it's just not necessary so i think if there's anything that people can do to just help drive that message home to young people like everyone's walk of life contributes to a greater and more beautiful society like actually ask me like oh my god how was it growing up in zimbabwe like what's it like and now you're going to learn about my culture the beauty of where i was from but the moment you've already discounted that and now you'd rather bully me for it instead of embracing it and now you know something about a beautiful part of the world it's just a shame so i think yeah embrace it life should be an amalgamation of different walks of life different accents different voices different things like the table of change or the table of you know world leaders or whatever should be everybody's voices included so that we can make a better world for everyone and for the future generations on a generational scale so i think you know if there's anything that i say that's helpful Go ahead. V Katavu, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your wisdom, your empathy, your ideas. It's been absolutely wonderful to have this time with you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Kathy Walker. Join me on the next episode of Race Her Up from the GDST when I'll be with author of newsletter and best-selling book, Conversations on Love, Natasha Lunn. We all love love, don't we? One person I asked um, who edits the New York Times Modern Love section, I asked him, why are you interested in talking about love? And he said, is love separate from anything else? And it really made me think about that. Like, yes, I'm asking people about love, but I'm also asking them about work, loss, their sense of self. So many different things are contained within that one word. I'll see you then. I'll see you then.